It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Before three big things, let's start off with some positive news on a, both a micro and a macro level. Today is, of course, the start of the tournament, the U.S. Open. We've been hearing about this for quite a while. It is at Aaron Hills. And the the impact economically on the area is going to be huge. Now, the macro, the big picture, you're going to have, uh, once you have a, a major golf tournament at a course in your area, for years and years afterwards, people will come from all over the world, yes, I said the world, to play those type of golf courses. That's the effect of what's happened up in Sheboygan, where Whistling Straits has been featured. They've hosted the PGA tournament a couple times. They um, are scheduled to host a Ryder Cup. People travel from all over the world, and people with money, to play those kind of golf courses. And that's precisely what is going to happen to Aaron Hills. And I, I've been paying a lot of attention to the national press about Aaron Hills, and it, people love it. I mean, actually, everybody loves it. So that's the macro picture. I think having a U.S. Open is going to be a big deal for a long time to come. There is also the the micro picture, the the closer-to-home picture. Um, My girlfriend lives in in West Bend, works in the hospitality industry. Last night, we were out to dinner at a... Italian restaurant in Hubertus with friends of ours, Maggie and Dale. And and this, this play, I, I'm sure it would do on a typical Wednesday evening in the summer. I'm sure that they would do a good business. The place was packed. And it was all, it was people largely who were attending the U.S. Open. A lot from out of state, but, you know, a lot from, I mean, I guess the area who were, you know, had been at the course. You could tell everybody's wearing the golf apparel. There's a little bar restaurant right across the street from the place I was in. Literally, they're out the door. Um, People are out the door. And and I've talked to other people who are restaurateurs in that area, and they're just saying the impact has been absolutely incredible. So macroeconomics, big picture, U.S. Open means a lot. On the smaller level, just the impact on the local businesses, whether it's the hotels or the restaurants or whatever, the impact has been huge as well. So that's the value of this. So if you're going out to the U.S. Open, um, enjoy yourself. If you're here from out of town to enjoy the U.S. Open, have a great time. Spend some money. It's just incredible. All right. That's the U.S. Open. The other big story, and I cannot underscore how big this story is, is the potential that a business is going to be coming to Wisconsin that will bring tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, President Trump, when he was here earlier this week, remember he, he was kind of cryptic when he talked about, you know, what the, I, I understand that the state is close to getting some big manufacturer. It's going to be huge. It's going to be incredible. Well, okay, word is leaking out. Um, it's a Taiwanese company. It's called Foxconn. And they, this is the company that assembles Apple iPhones and other electronics. They employ close to a million people. They assemble smartphones for Apple, for Sony, for BlackBerry, and other brands, mostly in China, where their plants employ about one million people. And they've apparently made a commitment to invest like seven B as in billion dollars into the United States. And the word is, now, it's not a done deal, and that's why I think some people are uncomfortable talking about it, and I'm not sure actually how the governor felt when, you know, President Trump let this out of the bag, kind of with the illusion. But because Michigan is going after them, Pennsylvania is going after them, but you get the idea that Wisconsin might be on the inside track. 
if they were to come to Wisconsin, the estimates are that this could be this could be fifty thousand jobs, not five jobs, not fifty jobs, not five hundred jobs, but as many as fifty thousand jobs. That would be, in the words of the president, huge. Um, and, and again, it appears like Wisconsin is on certainly on the short list for a chance to get these jobs. But if you were wondering what he was talking about, it's this Taiwanese company. It's called Foxconn. And um, uh, if that happens, um, I I think everybody around here should be very, very happy. And, again, there's a couple other states that are bidding at it on it. But you get the idea that – you get the idea that Wisconsin might be on the inside track. There might need to be some legislation in order to bring these jobs to provide them – free land or something like that. But if this happens, it would be a very, very good thing. All right. We start today's program off like we start every program off. Three big things. Big story number one, the fallout from the shooting yesterday involving the disaffected, angry loser from Bellevue, Illinois, 66-year-old guy named James Hodgkinson, who was a Bernie bot, one of these... um, Gee, I, I, I love Bernie Sanders type of guys. Lengthy history of sort of inflammatory political rhetoric. Lots of letters to the editor. Lots of I love Rachel Maddow. Lots of posts showing about how he hated Republicans and believed that Republicans were going to be destroying the country. He apparently left Illinois about two months ago and was living out of his van in Alexandria, Virginia, bathing at the local YMCA. So, I mean, I, I, look, you put two, to, two together, it, it's very apparent to me that he went, he went to D.C. with the idea that he was going to target and assassinate people. And it's now very, very clear that these reports we were getting early in the day where you had a couple people who were there saying somebody came up to them beforehand and asked, are these Republicans or Democrats? Well, pretty clear that that was this guy, and he was making sure that he was going to be shooting Republicans. All right. Now, there is part of the culture here which has contributed to this coarsening. If you pick up the Washington Post, the New York Times, to a lesser extent, the Journal Sentinel, if you watch ABC News or NBC News or CBS News um, or MSNBC or CNN on a daily basis, you see story after story after story that talks about how President Trump is corrupt, how the Republicans, it's not just a policy matter, but the Republicans want to destroy the world. We're pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. The Republicans want to destroy the earth. We're going to repeal and replace Obamacare. My God, the Republicans want to see people dying on the sidewalk and over and over and over again. And that has been the drumbeat because the mainstream media hates Donald Trump. Um, There are a lot of people on the left who have decided that what we're going to do is we are going to we're going to preach our hatred of Donald Trump. That is how we're going to raise money. That is how we're going to succeed. We're not going to work on the, with the president. Everything he does is evil. He is awful. He is terrible. He is not legitimate. And, and that's the approach that has been taken in an effort to, I don't know, try to rewrite history and get past the fact that the Republicans won the last election. So 
in this supercharged arena where it's not just the politicians who are saying the Republicans are evil, this is terrible, but rather that is the standard talking point in the mainstream media. A fair question is, for people like this guy, this Bernie bot, the fact that there is now this almost acceptance, the Kathy Griffin holding the severed head of Donald Trump, and this is her idea of art, the fact that it's not just that you disagree on policy, but rather it is that you are evil, that you want to kill people, you want to destroy people, you are going to end the country. Now the question becomes whether or not that constant drumbeat that you see, not just in the far corners of the Internet, but everywhere, whether that is contributing to the culture, not the only factor, this guy was obviously a loser, but but whether that is contributing to this culture of anything goes and we have to save the country and the way we save the country is by going out and committing acts of violence against people that we disagree with. Well, now, the mainstream media is very sensitive to this because they know they are vulnerable on it because they know that they have been writing these type of stories that I'm talking about. So I'm looking at a story today that appears in USA Today. Blaming political vitriol for men like James Hodkinson, Hodkinson, not so fast, experts say. And it's an effort for at least some people in the mainstream media to try to walk back from whatever involvement they have. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has the culture, as contributed to by the mainstream media, has that helped or aided or help to partially create this culture of violence that is out there? Because I will tell you something, I think the answer is yes. And what I find to be really scary is you don't know how many more of these Bernie bots, these James Hodgkinsons, are out there stewing, angry, and willing to act out. And again, part of it is, I do think we are in unprecedented territory because there have always been, again, the dark corners of the Internet or the extremists. The thing that makes this different is you now have the mainstream news outlets, the major newspapers that have, in my opinion, bought into this extremism with the relentless drumbeat of coverage that they are choosing. And, yeah, I think there is a degree of responsibility. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is big story number one. It's 846. 849, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Pitches Lounge and Restaurant in Milwaukee, featuring their specialty barbecue baby back ribs. Pitches has been family-owned and operated for over 70 years. Tomorrow at noon, get a $50 certificate for only $25. These go quickly. We only have 100 available. Get yours tomorrow starting at noon by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. Bob, downtown. Bob, good morning. You're first. Morning, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, first of all, uh, the violence that occurred yesterday in Alexandria, Virginia, was reprehensible, inexcusable. Whether you're left, right, or center, whatever your beliefs are, should not subject you to any form of violence, let, let alone shootings and, and attempted homicide. So it was inexcusable. And I would agree that uh, certainly the Democrats have contributed in the last six to nine months since Trump won election and took office to the uh, rhetoric, as has the mainstream media. But you also can't absolve Donald Trump because he ran Mm -hmm. one of, I would say, the most vicious, vitriolic, insulting 
lowbrow campaigns ever run for the presidency. He he had violence at his rallies. He stood there, as you will recall, Jeff. You talked about it mm-hmm. at rallies where people were his supporters were basically being violent and sometimes punching and hitting people at that, that disagreed with them. So he bears blame in this situation too. Um, it's an overall bad situation and. I'd like to think that this would wake people up to the vitriol and the viciousness in politics in the United States, but I'd say that's highly unlikely. Yeah, I, Bob, and I, I, I agree with you on, I, and there's no question that the, there's no question that the campaign that Trump ran, and I think that Hillary Clinton ran as well, created to this the, a degree of the divisiveness. What I think is unique here is the fact that I, I never remember the mainstream media being as. It's one thing for the stuff to come from candidates and things like that. It's another thing where you clearly have this collective group think at the places like the New York Times and the Washington Post and in newsrooms um, all across this country that Trump is evil, that Republicans are evil. And it is that relentless drumbeat of coverage that then plays into What's going on with, again, in this case, the guy's a Bernie bot, you know, who, who just, it, it's, and it's just not, hey, I disagree. It's, this is not a legitimate president. This is a guy who's going to destroy the country. I am going to be a patriot by moving, by driving to Alexandria, Virginia, living out of my van and apparently waiting for an opportunity to shoot people. Mike and Fond du Lac, Texas. Certainly every individual has to be responsible for his or her actions, and I don't disagree with that. Having said that, I don't think there's any question the mainstream media has contributed to the frenzy of hatred and discord that exists today. They continue um, to stir the pot on divisiveness and continue to portray those who do not politically agree with them as evil. And that's the point that um, I'm making. That, I mean, yeah, clearly this is some disaffected, angry loser. I, I get it. But I wonder how many of those people that are out there who have that flames fanned and it's again it's not just the weird little corner of the internet that they're in and the group of people that they're interacting with on facebook but it is reinforced every day when they go on the internet and they go to the new york times website or they go to the usa today website or the washington post website and it's one story after another because there has been this collective opinion in the mainstream media that we can't it's not just a matter of disagreeing it's evil. They're going to destroy the planet. And yes, I do think the mainstream media bears some responsibility for this. They're trying to walk it back. But I mean, this is now becoming the normal thing. Let's stage Shakespeare in the park. Let's do Julius Caesar, but let's stage you know, the assassination of Caesar to make it look like Donald Trump is being killed. And people applaud. And we're going to get away with that. We're going to say it's, it's in the name of art. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's art. But like I said earlier, if you tried to do that with Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, it would have been shut down in a day by protests. But because it's you know directed at Donald Trump and the right, it gets embraced. Jim in Wauwatosa. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Hi. Uh, you know, the mainstream media and the Democratic Party have been engaging in relentless incendiary remarks crossing lines along with their own violent protests that should have never been crossed. And unfortunately, you may see or think they're walking back in the very, the very short term, but they're, they're not in a position yeah. to walk anything back. They will lose their audience. They yeah. created the beast. They need to continue to feed their beast. Yeah. There are rabid anti-Trumpers that need to be fed this stuff daily. If the media suddenly goes soft, yep. restrains their rhetoric, they'll lose their audience. 
Yep. You're, you're, you're exactly. I, thanks for the call, Jim. You, you are right. Matter of fact, I have somebody who's making that point of the text as, as well. That um, let's see, Mitch writes whether or not the media actually hates Trump as much as the deranged left left doesn't matter. As long as fomenting vitriol and fear wins the ratings war, they will keep it up. The drip, drip, drip of tension certainly will bring the cycle to a boiling point. Look, after President Trump was elected, there were a lot of people on on the right who were saying, "Okay, is this the effect of ten or twelve years of talk radio that you know we, we we've led to this?" And I, I think it's fair to ask for some you know introspection there. But this is the flip side of that. And I don't see any of that self-questioning. Has our relentlessly negative coverage, has our pandering to the people, the hard left, the deranged anti-Trumpers, has our pandering in the selection and the way we present stories, has that contributed to this as well? i just like to see a little bit of introspection. I don't think that you're going to see that. Dan writes, if a prominent Democrat had been shot, the mainstream media would have blamed Fox and talk radio. They won't talk about Kathy Griffin anymore. They won't talk about the production of Julius Caesar. Yeah, there's this story, blaming political vitriol for main men like James Hodgkinson, not so fast. Well, all right, is is the political vitriol the exclusive thing? No. But again, I just give you, well, some people are saying, well, what about the, the Gabby Giffords shooting? Okay, the guy who shot Gabby Giffords was a nut who had been stalking her for several years. It had nothing, I don't believe it had anything to do with politics. It was just somebody who was obsessed with her. This clearly was somebody who was obsessed with Republican policies and hating them. Um, you know, that's, and that's the reality that, that's out there, and it's the culture that's been created. I, I don't want to absolve James Hodgkinson. Obviously, you know, it's an individual responsibility thing. I just wonder how many more people like there, like him are out there who are, uh, again, sitting there looking at the six stories that appear in the New York Times today about how, okay, Robert Mueller is now investigating Donald Trump for obstruction of justice. Oh, this is terrible. How many more people like that are out there, and how many more of them are going to act out? It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number two is precisely that. Um, Reports leaked to the Washington Post suggest that the special counsel might be focusing on obstruction of justice is this really going to go anywhere, or is this just an unfortunate smokescreen we discuss next? It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 908. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The fallout from the shooting at the lakefront Sunday night continues to escalate. Here's the story. I mean, everybody knows the story by now. Um, last Sunday night, very, very busy at the lakefront. Um, there is an Audi Q5 SUV driven by a 19-year-old man that commits a traffic violation, blows through a light. A sheriff's deputy tries to pull them over, puts on the lights. The car takes off. Now you're in the crowded lakefront. There are thousands of people down there. There's cars all over. There are pedestrians all over. The car tries to flee. The deputy in the cars, I mean, they don't really start to chase. But what happens is, in an effort to get away, the driver of the Audi pulls out, goes up on a median strip, almost hits a pedestrian, almost hits a police officer, a sheriff's deputy, who is on on foot patrol. It's not the one who tried to pull the car over in the first place. Um, 
it's unclear yet from the video whether the SUV was heading directly at the deputy or at him at a slight angle, but certainly coming in the direction of the deputy. There are people all over. Like I said, I had somebody call the program earlier this week who was there and said he, he actually even thought that the SUV had hit had at least nicked one of these pedestrians who's trying to get out of the way. The deputy pulls out his gun and fires several times into the car. It hits and kills the 19-year-old driver of the vehicle, um, wounds a passenger in the front seat. There's a third person in the back of the car who is not injured. But I think it's very clear the deputy's actions were designed to try to stop this vehicle not because necessarily the vehicle was fleeing, but because the vehicle was driving on a median strip trying to elude traffic in an area where it's the lakefront. There's kids around. There's people with strollers. There's all sorts of people on the streets. All right. Now, it's coming out more and more about the driver. Apparently, the 19-year-old driver who, and again, this happens after, I mean, it's an unfortunate situation. We don't have the death penalty for fleeing police officers. Um, the 19-year-old driver, there's always this kind of canonization. The Journal Sentinel has a story where they interview a neighbor who says that, you know, he was always polite and respectful and, and helpful. Um, at Christmas time, he lugged loads of gifts into the apartment for me and my kids. He'd shovel the snow from driveway and uh, our driveway and, and cut the lawn. Well, okay, the other, the flip side of that is there, there's now reports that the man who was the driver of the vehicle was apparently in, involved in an altercation the day before. Um, apparently, according, again, to the reports, um, the man had been connected to a shots-fired incident about 1.30 p.m. Saturday in the 5700 block of West Silver Spring. Huh. 5700 block of West Silver Spring. Man told police he was parked in a vehicle at a business when two men exchanged words with him and brandished a rifle in a threatening manner. The man later identified one of the armed men as Williams. That's the 19-year-old guy who was driving the van. He was driving the SUV involved in the incident Sunday. After a verbal argument, both parties drove away. When the man heard gunshots coming from the SUV, he returned fire. The man with Williams then fired additional shots at him from a rifle before fleeing no one was injured. So if these reports are accurate, it's like the Wild Wild West. 57th and Silver Spring, 1.30 in the afternoon, and you've got these yo-yos that are shooting at each other. So um, when the when the, the Audi, the Q5, um, was, was ultimately stopped by the sheriff's deputy Sunday night, they did, they found, you know, a, a loaded, you know, handgun, in the car. Now, the reports were that there was a right that there, there's somebody in the car was using a rifle to shoot at him. But uh, I, again, you know, who, who knows exactly? So you, you have last night there are protests and the way it's described is relatively small. You have you know, a couple dozen people, 40 to 50 people show up, many of whom are apparently armed. Um, they were nonviolent, but they are screaming at sheriff's deputies, denouncing to deputies at the scene with contempt-laced obscenities. Uh, the story on Fox Six talks about somebody saying, "Well, hey man, you, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have shot him. You should have just you should have just shot out the tires." And there's somebody else saying, "This is another example of how the police are out there killing young black men." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Somebody even goes as far, like I said, as to say they should have just shot out the tires. 
the more and more I hear about this story, and look, it is unfortunate any time somebody loses their life. And I understand why there is frustration that, that goes along with it. But where is the, the responsibility? The reason this happened was because the driver of the vehicle, for whatever reasons, decided to take off in a crowded situation, putting other people's lives at risk. Now, maybe you can argue, and maybe ultimately, you know, somebody's going to determine that it was too risky for the sheriff's deputy to pull out his gun and fire his gun because other people could have gotten shot. But where is the responsibility? Where are the people saying, you know what, the, the guy, we don't know why he ran. Maybe it was because there's the loaded handgun there. Maybe it's because, okay, you've got this word out that, you know, you, you if you flee, you're not going to be chased by the Milwaukee police, even though this was sheriff's deputies. But where is any degree of personal responsibility here? The person who put this in motion that led to the unfortunate situation that forced the sheriff's deputy on foot patrol to act was the guy who fled from the cops in the first place. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I th- these protests. Oh, the police are out there, you know, killing innocent people and things like that. All right. The, the reason the situation got to the point it did was because somebody decided to take off in a crowded area. Now, you can argue, uh, again, you know, whether or not w- was this a situation where the officer had to pull his gun and use deadly force to protect himself or to protect others. But the reason this happens in the first place is the guy decides to flee. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and wouldn't it be nice to at least at some point in time just kind of focus on what was the catalyst for this situation in the first place instead of automatically saying oh this is the police this is the evil cops that are out there trying to take lives well all right the sheriff's deputy wasn't on foot patrol walking up and down shooting people indiscriminately this incident started because of the driver of the van deciding to endanger the lives of people instead of just stopping 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. It's 9:15. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 9:18. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Madison principal racked up over $10,000 in credit card expenses, failed to keep any records or receipts. Now, with parents up in arms, the district has decided not to pursue any investigation. Hmm. Is this a case of mere carelessness or criminality? Join the debate during Scafidi and Billstat at 12.35 this afternoon. All right, th- there's this story from the shooting at the lakefront, you know, continues to grow. Protests, uh, people screaming obscenities at sheriff's deputies yesterday. Oh, they took the life of this guy. And it, it, is, it is unfortunate. There's, there's no question about it. But here you have a 19-year-old man who, if you believe police reports, was involved in a rolling shootout at 57th and Silver Spring the day before. All right. Um, this I don't think the stop was related to that. It's just you're at the crowded lakefront. The guy takes off, drives over a median strip, according to witness reports, almost hits a couple people and a sheriff's deputy in an effort to stop the car. And presumably, I mean, the argument is going to be protect himself, save his life and save the lives of others, uses deadly force. And, and we're. We're not talking about the actions that started this in the first place, but rather it's the evil cops. Well, the cops aren't going to – that deputy's not pulling his gun unless somebody's driving a van over a median strip coming at him and other people. Let's start with Judy on the northwest side. Judy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. 
My comment is this whole story is about another person's bad behavior, and the policemen once again are called to do their job. And have we forgotten already about the necessity of the policemen to do their job? We just had yesterday. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, I try to imagine. Yes, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to imagine. All right, what, what if the officer hadn't stopped you the car? You are precisely right. So you have a car that is trying. And look, I don't know why the driver was fleeing. Maybe he was afraid that they were going to arrest him because he was involved in the shootout the day before on the streets. He I don't was exhibiting bad behavior with another loaded gun in the back seat. Right, and, and endangering the endangering the yeah. lives of people. That yeah, that's it. Of people, yes. I mean, I think. See, that's the. I mean, see, that's the, that is the concern. It's like. That, that's why the, the Journal Sentinel wrote a story. I was talking about this the other day that I found to be particularly aggravating. This intern writes this story, and they put it on the front page. Law enforcement experts say you don't shoot at fleeing cars. Well, that, that's, that is true as a general rule. It's not like the movies where you have these high-speed chases and you're trying to shoot at cars. But that's not what this was. This was, and I believe it's going to come out, this was an effort by the deputy to protect himself and others. Law enforcement are entitled to use deadly force if they believe that that is what is necessary to stop the the threat to themselves and others. And somebody driving a car straight at you or somebody driving a car over a median strip in a crowded, you know, on, on the lakefront on a Sunday night, that poses a huge risk to public safety. And again, the, okay, you, you let this car go. The car is trying for whatever reason to get away from the cops. It's crowded. There's nowhere to go. It's going up on a median strip. All right, you plow into a woman in a stroller with two kids. All right, then what's the attitude going to be? Are people going to be protesting that then? 414-799-1620. Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Jeff, you kind of hit on a couple of things that I was going to say, but uh, I think the, the public just needs to be educated on some of this. Like you said, uh, uh, maybe Google what what uh, use of deadly force is. Um, that officer did exactly what he should have done. He, uh, You are not trained in the academy to shoot out tires on a car. You're yeah. trained to stop the threat. Yeah, it's not the movies. I mean, people watch these movies. This Correct. isn't John Wick. This isn't, you know, the French Connection. You're not trained to do that. You're, you're, you're exactly right. It's, if you have to use deadly force, you shoot to stop the threat. Yes. Right. If somebody's, if somebody's, if you're standing there and somebody's pointing a gun at you or maybe just five feet to your right, um, it only takes an instant for them to change the direction, just like the vehicle, to change that direction. So he's coming at an angle and not straight at him. You have a split second and it, and our, our, our reaction time isn't even quick enough. You, these officers mm-hmm. need to make these split second decisions and unfortunately somebody lost their life in it, but. Um, right, but it, but it was the driver of the vehicle that that started this entire thing right. in motion. If, if he if he stops or he doesn't drive over the median strip, I had a guy the other day who, like I said, he was there. He said I, he said he actually thought the car was yeah. going to hit the officer and did nick a pedestrian. I mean, you're, the lakefront. It's Sunday night. It's hot. There's mm-hmm. thousands of people. You can't just floor it and try to take off. And now the family members say that this officer should spend the rest of his life in prison for taking their son. It's unfortunate their son lost, lost his life in this, but um, the officer did what he needed to do to protect himself and to protect the public. Right. right. I mean, thanks. To, and, and right. And the officer doesn't deserve to be vilified. Oh, there's no justice. This guy needs to be prosecuted. Well, okay. 
you know, maybe just a little bit of introspection, you know, here. And, and again, what you're going to see, and this happens a lot, you're going to see what I'm calling the canonization of, you know, some of the people. It is unfortunate the young man lost his life. But you have to go back and say, okay, what was it? that caused this to happen, and it was the, the behavior, in this case, of the driver of the vehicle. We'll never necessarily know why he took off. Now that you've got the evidence and the suggestion that he was involved, um, this was a vehicle that was involved in a, a shooting at one thirty in the afternoon the day before, you know, maybe you're getting some idea of, of the motive. And I, I want to be real clear here. We don't have... I don't view this as the the consequences, that this isn't the consequences of fleeing. We don't have the death penalty in this state for anything, much less for trying to elude police. That's not a justification for the shooting. The justification for the shooting would be if the behavior of the driver um, put the life you know, th- immediately threatened the life of the deputy or the lives of other people. And I would argue that under those circumstances, a speeding van, a van trying to get away, going over a median strip, coming at you know people on the lakefront, what what could what could be clearer about you know putting you know lives in in danger? And that's that's the factor, and that's the you know that's what gets lost in this entire. You know, discussion. Um, Stephen West Ben writes, let's turn the tables. If he didn't shoot at the SUV and let it go and the driver hit people at the lakefront walking around, they would be saying the cops didn't do anything to stop the SUV. Exactly. Um, That's that's the point of all this. And, you know, they're going to do the investigation. And I I don't and maybe they'll ultimately determine that deadly force wasn't warranted in a situation like this. But I have to tell you, under the circumstances, I, I, you can't let that car just drive across the median strip. You can't let a car flee under those circumstances. Period. Case closed. 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number three is coming up. It's 928, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ is round one of the U.S. Open begins today. One of the men vying for the trophy is spending the week with our own John McCure. John shares this golfer's fascinating story during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Be sure to tune in at 420 this afternoon. Um, as long as we're speaking about you know police conduct and things like that, there is a, a very volatile trial which is going on in Milwaukee. Um, this is the trial of former police officer Dominique Hagan Brown. He was the um, he's on trial for first degree reckless homicide. August of 2016, he was um, he was involved in chasing the Slavell Smith um, into a gangway. Slavell Smith uh, had a gun, um, ran from an attempted traffic stop. Um, so the guy had a gun, and and th- there were a couple shots fired. It's a very very difficult prosecution because th- there's no question that the initial shooting. Uh, of Slavell Smith, everybody says that was justified. You know, shooting him initially, he apparently went down, and then a couple seconds after he went down, uh, this Dominic Hagen Smith fired a uh, Hagen Brown fired a second shot, and he's on trial for firing the the second shot, which was apparently the, the killing shot. Um, it's going to be a very difficult prosecution, simply because 
they're arguing, okay, the first one was justified, the second one wasn't. But this all happened within a matter of seconds. They showed um, a, a video of this yesterday, and again, it's it's only a 12 or 13 second video. His partner had one of was wearing a body camera, so you can see this. And in real time, if you look at it in real time, you kind of get the idea that, well, it, it was pretty justified. If you break it down frame by frame, maybe you come with a different conclusion. Um, it, it is interesting. There is a political element to this, because keep in mind, Hagen Brown um, is, is, is an easy target for the district attorney's office because he was fired by the police department in October after he was charged in an unrelated sexual assault. So th- this is, if John Chisholm is trying to make a political point, th- this is an easy one to do. I don't know how this case is going to turn out. It's very, very difficult because if you watch the video in real time, you say, well, of course the shooting was justified. If you break it down frame by frame, maybe you come to a different conclusion. We'll be watching this one as well. It is 930. Big thing number three is coming up. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. As the Packers finish minicamp, preparations are underway for Billy Joel's performance at Lambeau Field this weekend. Check out photo galleries of both and, of course, much more on the green and gold in our Packers section at WTMJ.com. I know a number of people who are going up to the Billy Joel concert. My friends Maggie and Dale, they're going up um, on Saturday night and... um, Let's see, my girlfriend's, her, her daughter and son-in-law, they're going to the thing. I, I don't know. You're, you going, Hondo? No, you didn't get tickets. You didn't get me neither. No, me neither. We, we didn't get tickets. Actually, um, I'll bet you that's a lot of fun. I mean, Lambeau Field is just a great place to go, and they don't host concerts too often. So I think that's going to be cool. I, I think the weather is supposed to be very, very nice, and so that will be great. I hope people have a tremendous time. All right, big story number three. Let me back into this. There are some things... I really care about, I I care about national security. I care about us being safe from terrorists. I care about taxes. I care about affordable health care. I care about quality of life issues. I care about things that make a difference in everybody's life. I I, I do. Um, I don't really care about whether or not Donald Trump, you know, told the FBI director, gee, I, I, I just as soon, you know, this guy's a good guy. Do you know, do you need to go ahead with the investigation? I, I just I don't care about it. I, and I'm, I'm sorry, maybe I maybe I should. But but I but I don't. I mean, here's the reality. The president of the United States has the ability to commute sentences and pardon people. Barack Obama, commuting sentences of convicted drug dealers right and left. Bill Clinton, on his way out of office, pardoned a fugitive financier who had helped him finance his presidential campaign. This was a fugitive financier. Presidents have the right to do that. If Donald Trump, for example, had decided that he wanted to end any sort of investigation into whether anybody had cooperated with the the Russians or had uh, made false statements and connections with their meetings with the Russians, he could have pardoned them. The president has the power to do that, right? So that's kind of the backdrop on this. 
So the heavy breathing story in today's Washington Post then picked up all over the mainstream media that's kind of this is now the front page story blowing off the, the crazy guy from Illinois who was trying to assassinate Republicans. Special counsel is investigating Trump for possible obstruction of justice. The special counsel overseeing the investigation into Russia's role in the 2016 election. And by the way, I do think that that is a fair question. We know, I mean, the answer is obvious. Russia tried to monkey around with the presidential election. They were hack, trying to hack into different things. That is a matter of concern. It's, it should be you know, investigated. And what we really need to do is figure out ways to stop that in the future. So that's how I feel about Russia. But the story, the special counsel, this is um, Robert Mueller, is overseeing the investigation into Russia's role in the 2000 election, is that 2016 election, is interviewing senior intelligence officials as part of a widening probe that now includes an examination of whether President Trump attempted to obstruct justice. Give me strength. The move by special counsel Robert S. Mueller III to investigate Trump's conduct marks a major turning point in the nearly year-old FBI investigation, which from a criminal perspective doesn't appear to be going anywhere which until recently focused on Russian meddling during the presidential campaign and on whether or not there was any coordination between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. Investigators have also been looking for any evidence of possible financial crimes among Trump associates. Trump had received private assurances from James Comey starting in January that he was not personally under investigation. Officials say that changed shortly after Comey's firing. Five people briefed on the interview request, speaking on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the matter publicly, no kidding, said that various people have been interviewed, are going to be interviewed by Mueller's investigators as early next week. Um, they will, in fact, cooperate. And the question is, in deciding to fire James Comey, was this, in fact, obstruction of justice? The obstruction of justice investigation of the president began days after Comey was fired on May 9th. Uh, Mueller's office has taken up the work. The interview suggests that Mueller, give me strength, sees the question of attempted obstruction of justice as more than just a he said, she said dispute between the president and his fired FBI director. Investigating Trump for possible crimes is a complicated affair, even if convincing evidence of a crime is found. The Justice Department has long held it would not be appropriate to indict a sitting president. Um, Instead, um, Congress could review any findings of criminal misconduct and then decide whether to initiate impeachment proceedings. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let let me give you, first of all, political analysis here. As, As far as I'm concerned for Republicans, if Donald Trump leaves office... That means Vice President Mike Pence becomes the president. Um, Candidly, I think from a political perspective, Pence is nowhere near the lightning rod that Donald Trump is. From a pure political perspective, keeping control of the House in 2016, keeping control of the U.S. Senate, there's worse things that could happen to Republicans than Mike Pence taking over the presidency. Because, again, he's not the lightning rod. But as I was saying earlier, the the president can pardon anybody he wants. If the president decided, I don't like the way this investigation is going, or I think it's a witch hunt, I'm going to pardon so-and-so. I'm going to pardon so-and-so. They could do that. 
They could do that, and there's nothing going on. So this idea that we're going to investigate him for obstruction of justice because he didn't like Comey, he couldn't get Comey to be as loyal as he wanted, he couldn't get Comey, and, and again, I think some of this, Trump brings it on himself by having these different conversations that are then subject to interpretation. But at the same time, all right, obstruction of justice, do we really want to see a year or two-year investigation into Trump's conduct on something like this, an investigation that's probably, at the end of the day, going nowhere. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The president is describing this as a witch hunt. I don't know that I'm going to say witch hunt, but, all right, is this something that you want to see continued? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 943. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 946. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, Is a tank top and shorts inappropriate attire out in public on a warm June day? That was the case for one woman at a mall in Michigan. Would you have kicked her out or let her stay? Discussed during Scafidian Billstat 207 this afternoon. All right, uh, the the big headline story in most of the mainstream media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, that's kind of pushed the shooting off uh, yesterday uh, off the news is, all right, leaked stories. Now the special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, is focusing on obstruction of justice um, as part of, the investigation into whether or not Russia hacked into whether or not Russia tried to mess around with the election and whether or not there's any sort of criminal involvement. This investigation has been going on for a year. The the criminal aspect of it appears to be going nowhere as far as allegations that people colluded, people in the Trump orbit colluded with the, the Russians to try to influence the election. Like I say, that appears to be going nowhere, but now the function, now the investigation is, did the president obstruct justice when he fired James Comey after he, he told Comey, gee, I'd really like you to back off on, on some of, on this probe. I'd, I'd like you to back off on my former security national advisor, you know, Michael Flynn, right? Um, what do you think? Al in Milwaukee. Al, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Is that how you doing? I'm good. Okay, have you ever been out of the country to a Germany, any other countries outside the United States? If you have, you realize that what this guy, is, what Trump is doing is taking away the liberties of the United States. And I think wherever, wherever this thing take us, I think he should continue it. Well, oh, oh, tell me, look, I, I don't want to debate whether or not Trump not is a debate. good president. It's simply, it's simply a fact is, there's a fact. Well, Every action he has taken shows that this man is not to be trusted. His oh. hands is in the pot with Russia and with Putin. Well, and okay. Well, well, you say everybody knows it. But I mean, thanks. For the, you say everybody knows it, but th- there's no evidence to support that. All right. But but again, I I don't have. That's see. This this is where you know people need to understand what's going on. I have no. This investigation's been going on for a year, as to whether or not the Trump there's anybody in the Trump orbit. Jeff Sessions, anybody that colluded with Russia in an effort to try to influence the election. If there is such evidence, and again, they've been doing this for a year, haven't found any. I don't have a problem, by the way, with the special prosecutor going down that route, because I do think that's a big deal. I also think if you could ever tie this directly to Donald Trump, then you probably have an impeachable offense. But I don't. 
I don't think that that happened. I mean, you know, these people are saying Jeff Sessions, the attorney general who might have done well, – Sessions didn't do that. That's just – that's crazy sort of talk. That's the fa- the fever swamp. Um, I don't believe that happened. But I don't have a problem with that investigation because I do think whether it leads to criminal charges or just changes, it is important to know what Russia did during the course of the election because I don't – I, I don't want to messing around with, you know, the U.S. election process. And we do need to figure that out. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with special counsel investigating that. But that's not the turn it's taken. The turn it is now taken, and I don't know that I'm going to use the phrase witch hunt, but now it's we're going to investigate President Trump to determine whether or not it was obstruction of justice if he, in fact, you know, whistled James Comey aside and said, you know, Michael Flynn, my, my former national security advisor, he's a good guy, and I'd really like to see you back off on this probe. Now, Comey didn't back off on the probe. The probe continues. That's just not obstruction of justice. It's not. And I go back to what I said earlier. I mean, the president could pardon Flynn if he wanted to. I mean, so how can you go after a sitting president for obstruction of justice? Should the president have done that? Should he have said those things? No. I, I think it's I think it's unseemly, although I do think there's lots of other presidents who've sent messages to the people that work for them. Um, you, you don't think that Barack Obama and Eric Holder talked about you know what sort of priorities and and where they want to see prosecutions based i mean if if you don't believe that again tuck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't get hurt um but but it's the obstruction of justice thing it's like okay why are we spinning our wheels on on this you're you're never even if you took james comey's testimony at face value and believed it it's not a case for obstruction. But now you've got this special prosecutor, special counsel, it's the same as a special prosecutor, but, uh, you know, who's launched on this thing. And I'm, I'm not a Trump lover. I'm, I'm just not. But I, I want to see this country get off and, and start dealing with what is really important. What's going on right now, I think, is the politiza- politicization of this. You've got Democrats who are already saying Russia is not going to go away. They've poll tested these things, and they think it is a successful and a winning issue. Democrats want to keep the Russia issue alive over the course of the next 18 months leading into the elections because they think it's going to give them a better chance in the midterms. All right, I, I'm sitting here and saying, what do we really care about? I want this thing solved. I want it buttoned up really quick. Let's get the thing done. It's already been going on for a year, and I'm not sure you're any closer to resolution than you were. But the obstruction of justice aspect is just, in my opinion, a sideshow. And, and like I say, from the perspective of, of Republicans, well, I, you know, you might be better off in the 2018 election if it's Vice President Mike Pence who's the president and Donald Trump is, you know, playing golf somewhere. I mean, that, that might be a better result, but it's not going to happen. Republicans control Congress. There's not going to be any sort of impeachment. And I think the special prosecutor does a huge disservice by going off on these flights of fancy instead of concentrating on what's really important it's 953 this is jeff wagner 
It's 9.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ, coming up in just a couple minutes, hot cars, and it's not what you think. And later on, a discussion about silencers. Should they really be legal? We will discuss all that. Uh, the U.S. Open going on at Aaron Hills. And as I was saying at the start of the show, I just think this is great for the area's economy. I, I mean, I just I know firsthand that it's just had an explosion of business in a lot of, like, restaurants around the area. That's the micro effect. The macro effect is you're going to have people who are going to be coming to southeastern Wisconsin for years and years from all over the world because they want to play a golf course that's open to the public where the the u.s open has been played so that is why it is extremely cool i am glad to have all the visitors here i'm glad to have the pros here but let me just just say this and this comes from the perspective of somebody who's a whiner who, who is a golfer collectively golfers are whiners they, they are now you have the best golfers in the world and they are playing this amazing golf course the usga that sets up the golf course Actually, typically, they, they want to make it really, really hard. So when you hit your ball off the tee, you are supposed to hit the ball straight. What they have done at Aaron Hills is they've actually widened the fairways from a typical U.S. Open. So, you know, if you hit your ball straight, you'll be in this beautifully manu- manuf- manicured fairway. It's great. Now, the and Aaron Hills doesn't have a lot of water. I don't know if it has any water. doesn't have sand traps. So there's really not a lot of what you would call hazards that are out there, except along the fairways, they have this fescue grass. You know, some people might call it heather, you know, but it's it's the, the kind of the overgrown grass. If you hit your ball into that, you are in trouble because it's tough to hit it out of it. But at the same time. You've got these wide fairways. So you've got these players who, who come here. These are the best in the world. And collectively, and there's a handful of them in particular, who are whining, oh, the fescue grass is too long. Oh, this is trouble. Well, now, here's the bottom line. Hit the damn ball straight, and you're not going to have a problem. Actually, Rory McIlroy, who I love, he comes out there. They're saying, well, what do you think about this? Because you've got a couple of these guys, Lee Westwood and Kevin Na. They're whining. Well, it's too long. If I hit my ball into it, it might be a problem. You know, he's saying, hey, you hit your ball straight, you're not going to have a problem. And look at look at how big this fairway is. If you're one of the best golfers in the world and you can't hit the ball straight, you deserve to have problems. But these golfers, again, it's this collective whining thing. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. I am thrilled to have the U.S. Open here. I'm glad to have these golfers here. Okay, that that's tremendous. But my everybody's got to play the same course, and I don't think it's fair. Well, you have these really, really wide fairways. Now, as I'm a trunk slammer, okay, I'm a ha- ham and egger guy. You know, I go out with my clubs, you know, pull the clubs out of the trunk, you know, and, and walk them up and, and do that. And, I mean, I look at some of these golf courses, and I acknowledge that they are, they, they might be just too hard for my abilities. But I don't sit there and whine about, gee, the rough is too long. Gee, I sliced my ball 30 yards off the fairway, and it ended up in the woods. Okay, I'm man enough to say, I hit that bad shot. I deserve to be penalized. Best golfers in the world, and at least a handful of them whining. The fescue is too long. Give me a break. It's 9.59. Just just man up. Hit the ball. You know, stop complaining. Hit the ball straight. You won't have a problem. It's 9.59. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Welcome to the U.S. Open Golfers, though. Ten oh nine, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. 
You're a professional golfer, and you're whining that the fescue grass is too long. I mean, you're, I, I actually got some hostile email. Way to welcome the golfers to Wisconsin. I, okay, look, you know, it. You're a professional. You're a professional. I'm, I'm thrilled that the golfers are here. I love the fact that the U.S. Open here is. I've been saying that for the last couple of weeks. But, okay, you got a couple of these guys. Gee, the, the grass is too long. Don't hit it into the fescue. You won't have a problem. Now right? I just want a shirt that says, go fescue. <laughs> That's why I love Rory McIlroy. He's like, hey, they've widened the fairways. Okay, if you're a professional golfer and you can't hit the ball straight, all right, you know, <laughs> Come on, and you're complaining. All right, but we are, we're thrilled to have all the, the golfers here. Okay, um, if you're a longtime listener, I, I you, you know, I, I bought a new car a couple um, weeks ago, a couple months ago. I, for years and years, I drove, I had a 2010 Ford Escape, a little SUV. I, I love the Ford Escape, but over the years, I developed gadget envy because the, the Ford Escape was based, it, it didn't have a rear view camera on it, didn't have heated seats, didn't have navigation, didn't have any of these things, it, and you could get by with it, but I just I kept getting outplayed. All my friends, they were buying new cars and stuff, and you'd sit in. They had all this this great stuff, and I started having gadget envy. So um, finally, I, I did a lot of research, and I ended up. I, I looked at a number of different cars, and I for me, I ended up buying a Honda CRV, which is a very popular car. But I, there, there's other good ones as well. It just I I did a lot of research, and I thought it was the best car for the the value. I I didn't. I didn't want to drop forty and fifty and sixty thousand dollars on some of these really really high end SUVs. I love Audis, but you know the, the Audi Q5 was, is you know new. You're probably talking with the stuff I'd want on at least fifty thousand. Didn't want to pay that kind of money, and I'm very happy with the car I have. So the the thing is, from somebody who had gadget envy, um, there are so many gadgets on it that I just literally. Every time I drive it, I find something new. The, the latest thing that I thought was really cool is I'm driving down this uh, two-lane state road, um, this two-lane highway at, at night, and it, it's dark. And all of a sudden, my bright lights, the brights come on automatically. And I'm going, oh, this is, this is it. And, and I, I didn't, and I'm like kind of fidgeting. Well, how do I turn off the lights? And then when a car comes the other way, the car, my car senses it and automatically takes the, turns off the brights and goes back to the regular lights. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that it says something about this in the book somewhere, but I didn't realize it had this feature. And I'm going, this is really, really cool. And it, it's like discovering all these different gadgets that are out there. And they're not necessarily anything that you need. I mean, I'm perfectly capable of turning on the brights and then turning them down when I see a car coming the other way. But it's kind of a, a cool thing. It's got adaptive cruise control where you set the cruise control. And if you get if all of a sudden you get into traffic and you get too close to the car in front of you, it automatically dials back the speed. Um, so you, you don't have to, like, turn off the cruise control and turn it back on. It dials it down, and then when you, like, go to pass and it notices there's not a car in front of you, it automatically gets you up to speed. It, it's these, like, cool little features. And I don't know three-quarters of the features that are on the car, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm having fun figuring them out. Now, that's a lead-up into what I want to talk about uh, in this segment. There, as a general rule, I am not in favor of government mandates that increase the cost of things for for consumers. But every once in a while, there's something that comes along and you think, okay, maybe maybe this is cool. Now, in my car, um, if you when you get behind the wheel, and probably I think in most cars nowadays, you get behind the wheel of the car and you put the car in gear and you don't have your shoulder harness engaged, 
you, you get this warning, this annoying beeping thing, and this red light comes on telling you that you, you're not buckled in. Um, so, you know, that that's one of the features. Um, in in the second car I have, this, this VW that I drive, if you if you don't turn off the lights, if you forget to turn off the lights and you uh, shut the car off, I mean, you get this kind of annoying buzzer to remind you that you've left your lights on. Okay, so, I mean, these are these different features that remind you of things. There is a problem in this country. Uh, it's called the hot car syndrome. And, and I don't mean hot cars as in stolen cars. You've got a problem with hot cars in that regard. But here's the number. Um, so far this year, 12 children have died from heat stroke in cars. Last year, 24 children died this way. On average, since 1998, on average, every year since 1998, 37 children have died trapped inside hot cars. That means, now that's average, so some years you're going to have more, some years you're going to have less. And what they find is the great majority of the kids who were trapped in these cars you know, were under the age of four. The numbers show that of these kids who die, about half were simply forgotten about by parents or caregivers who had strapped them into a safety seat in the back. Now, there's always going to be a certain segment of parents who just make the conscious decision, I'm going to run into this store, I'm going to, you know, whatever, i got to do something, I'm going to leave my kid in the car. So what I'm going to talk about right now, that that's not going to affect that. That's not going to do anything about that. Because if the parent makes the intentional decision, I'm going to leave my kid in the car while I run into the Walmart for 45 minutes when it's 85 degrees outside, there's, you, you can't fix stupid. This isn't going to isn't going to change that. But what they say is about half of the kids who have died as a result of being left in automobiles, um, it's, it's been accidental. Now, you might say, how can this be accidental? Now, Hondo, you've got Hondo Jr., and you hear that, and you say, how could anybody in their right mind you know, forget their child, their two-year-old child in the backseat? And that is a fair question, but people do. Um, what typically happens it, this happens when a driver has to change from their usual routine. And I know that that sounds, that sounds silly, but um, like a parent who doesn't normally take the child to daycare. You know, that's, it, it, I, know, it, I know it sounds silly, but it, it happens to dozens of kids a year where they, they die because mom or dad just forgets. And it's, it's bizarre, but, but they do. So anyhow, the, the reason I bring this up is that there's a, it's a bipartisan effort. Um, it's called, and it was just introduced about a week ago, it's called the Hot Car Act of 2017. And again, it has support from both Republicans and Democrats. The bill would require um, all new cars would have to come equipped with a, a system for alerting the driver if the child is left in the back seat after the car is turned off. Um, now, the way it, I was trying to figure out how exactly this would work, but GM 
is, has already started putting this feature on a couple cars. They have this feature on their 2017 GM, uh, GMC Acadia, which um, it's like a seatbelt reminder. Um, what happens is if it uses – okay, if you leave your back door open – for example, the car you'll get a you'll get a note a reminder. Hey, the back door is open. Um, it uses the same back door sensors to tell you a door is open when you're driving. If these sensors detect a back door being opened and closed before the driver gets in and starts the car, or any time while the engine is running, then the back seat warning is is triggered. And so what happens is, um, you know, when you stop the, the car, you get a reminder that says, look in the rear seat. That, that, that's all it is. It's just, it's a reminder, look in the rear seat. Um, the feature is not optional, and it is included, it's mandatory in all new Acadias. There is a cost, but the cost is pretty minimal. Uh, I, I, I haven't... Everybody says it's just a couple bucks. This because they use the same technology that's already in existence to tell you. It's not like they're putting in new sensors. It's just it's the same thing that they use to tell you if the back door is open or not. So they're now looking at making this mandatory. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I never ever 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 have infants in my back car. At my, my back seat. This is just, this is not something that I could ever conceive of me needing. All right? I, I, I just, I can't. But having said that, I guess because you've got all these new cars that have all this technology, I don't think that this is a bad idea. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this big brother going too far? Should the government require that this hot car technology, which would essentially give you a warning if you do something before, you know, if you do something that indicates that you might have put something in the back seat, should there be this technology that's mandatory that reminds you, hey, check the back seat? That, that's all it does. It's just, it's a reminder, check the back seat. All right, is this government going too far? Actually, maybe you're surprised to hear me say this, but I don't think so. 1019, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 1021, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Well, this is news. Um, There are reports out there that uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, um, he was at Insight with us. He was part of the five-judge conservative majority. He's up for re-election. These are 10-year terms. He defeated Louis Butler, who was a liberal justice 10 years ago, and the left has been gunning for him the entire time. Um, he's up for re-election next April, and uh, the story is that he will not seek a second term. Um, he apparently hasn't said that, but this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. A person with direct knowledge of the decision, but who is not authorized to speak publicly about it, told the Associated Press, just think, the person has direct knowledge, not authorized to speak publicly, but he told the Associated Press, okay, with friends like that, uh, of Gableman's decision. Gableman did not immediately respond to messages. I'm going to, I'll try to reach out to him in a couple minutes. Um, he was up for re-election in April, not known if he will resign or finish his term, which runs until August of 2018. He had two announced challengers, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Rebecca Dillette, who is a liberal, and Madison Attorney Tim Burns, who is a flaming lefty. 
They are both running for the court. Um, this opens up the field for a conservative candidate to run a- as well. But uh, interesting, don't uh, it, it, if that is in fact the case. Now it doesn't it won't flip the it won't flip the ideolo- ideological makeup of the court because you've got four solid conservatives that are on there. But um, yeah, we'll try to reach out to Mike Gable and see if we can find out whether or not this report is correct. But it does. Again, clear the field if there's a conservative that's going to run. All right, right before the break, talking about there's a new bill that was introduced in Congress in the last, really like the last week, that would require as mandatory technology that alerts you if there might be something in the back seat. Um, And they call it the Hot Cars Act. It's designed to tell you maybe you've forgotten your kid in the car. 414-799-1620. I think it's a good idea. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, good morning. Good morning. I think it's a good idea. Um, there's another thing, though, that you said that you would never need that, ever. Right. But, see, you sell your cars yep. or trade them in, and who knows who's buying your cars? Yeah. Could be somebody that has kids, and then there it is for them. Yeah. Yeah, and, so. I, get, and I guess the, the thing... I, my understanding is the cost of this is going to be minimal. You know, if this was go- if adding this feature would add a thousand dollars or something ridiculous to the cost of a car, I might have a different position. But from what I understand, they use the same technology that's already there that tells you, you know, if you've left your back door un- open. So, you know, I, my my guess is it's just it's just a few extra bucks, and if it does, I hate the cliche, save a life. But this might help save. You know, lives. It also, by the way, might help remind me if I've left my briefcase in the car because th- it would set it off then too. Very good. Yeah. No. Thanks again. I think plus it's th- there's there's so many bells and whistles. There's so much technology on on these cars. And again, I'm just experiencing this. You know, having owned this car for just a couple months, trying to figure out okay, what are these different things? And someday when I have a few minutes, I'm going to have to really sit down with the owner's manual and kind of go through and figure out all the different cool things it can do that I don't even know about yet. But I, I think. This, it's a small intrusion, and it's something that makes sense. Let's talk to Mark in Mequon. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I thought you said bipartisan. It is bipartisan. I'm, I'm amazed. Yeah, it, I mean, it was introduced by two Democrats and, spo- and a co-sponsor by a Republican. Yeah, you don't hear that very often, do you? <laughs> yeah. I've heard nothing about it until you brought it up. Yeah. Um, if I don't have kids anymore, I mean, they're grown up, I should say. Right. Um, but... Don't have, unfortunately, don't have a dog anymore. But <laughs> you know what? To pay a little more, yeah. save thirty-seven lives. Yeah, it's probably more than that. It's probably say you know innocent kids. Right. Innocent kids should die because their parents are incompetent. They're stressed out. Right. Whatever the reason may be, it, there's no excuse for it. These kids deserve a life. They deserve to grow up and enjoy a life just like we do. Yeah. And if the government says. You have to do it. Uh, I think it's a good thing for the government to say that. Yeah, you're, you're, not, you're not talking about the government says you have to have Siri on your car or your. Right. You know, it's, it's not. You right. have to have a certain radio station. Right. Well, well, that yeah, maybe we could figure out a way to go, get the government to do that. I might be <laughs> behind it. No, thanks. I mean, yeah, I understand it. It's it's just it's one added thing. It's just like another buzzer. Like I say, if I leave the lights on in in my VW. Um, 
it buzzes. It reminds me of that. If I don't have my shoulder harness on, that little red guy comes on. You, you get the warning light and the annoying dinging. Um, but it's those things to remind you. And this, it's not a cure-all. I mean, I, I understand that it's not a cure-all. It's not going to solve, again, the parent that intentionally makes the decision to leave the child in the hot car. Not going to do anything about that, but it will at least remind somebody for the stressed-out parent who again, just, just forgets that the car is in the back seat. And it might help the rest of us, like I say, because it'll remind you, it'll also work if, I mean, it doesn't know whether it's a kid or whether it's your briefcase or whatever. It might remind you, hey, you're getting out of the car after you put your briefcase in the back seat. Wyatt in South Milwaukee. Wyatt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, what do you think? I agree with you completely. If it saves one child's life, the cost of the added feature is definitely worth it to any parents. And unfortunately, any parent who did lose their child, I, w- I bet they all wish they would have that feature in their cars. Right. Yeah. And, and again, it, it's a de minimis cost. Um, let me see. I have a have an email, a text here. I think it's a great idea. Twelve years back or so, I left my three-month-old infant in the back of my car when I ran into a store to get my other daughter's birthday cake. I wasn't intending to bring my infant daughter with me, but ended up taking her at the last minute. With so much on my mind, I completely forgot I had her with me. It was late August, an extremely hot day, and I got very lucky that it was early enough in the day that when I did come out of the store and realized she was with me, she was just fine. I got lucky this time, but it's tormented me for a long time anything that might have prevented this would have been great yeah and i understand we talk about this and people how can you forget your car in the back seat well we're human how can you get forget your kid in the back seat we're human sometimes and um this is just a very very minor way to help remind us 1028 jeff wagner 620 wtmj It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, that that's, um, again, that's kind of a surprise, and it's big breaking news. Uh, Michael Gableman, uh, he's 50 years old, elected to the um, state Supreme Court 10 years ago in a con- very, very contested race against Lewis Butler. Actually, Justice Gableman became the first person to win an election unseating a sitting uh, justice in a in a long time, um, and he's he's been targeted by the left since then. Um, he was one of our guests at, at Insight, and he's part of the reliable conservative majority. And I think the anticipation was that he was going to run again. It was going to be, I will tell you, it, it was going to be an expensive and a figuratively speaking bloody sort of campaign. Um, but the reports are is he's announcing he's he's the reports are. I love the way the Associated Press reports it. Somebody with knowledge who wasn't authorized to speak is nevertheless speaking about it. I mean, what's what's that all about, that, that he's not going to run? We've actually reached out to um, – we've got a call into the justice to see if he wants to come on the radio and talk about the decision. Um, but um, that, if it is in fact the case, and I have no reason to believe that it's not, that really, I think – throws open a lot of stuff for this upcoming state Supreme Court race. Like I say, the two announced challengers, uh, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Rebecca Dillette, who is liberal, um, and Tim Burns, who's a Madison attorney, who's a whacked-out liberal. And typically, you know, liberals don't do well running for the state Supreme Court. There's no question in my mind that either one of these would join the the liberal minority in in voting um, on, on issues. So, I'm sure that there will be somebody, um, some conservative judge or 
lawyer or politician who decides that they might want to take a shot at this. Who that is, I, I don't exactly know. But it, it is it is kind of a big deal, and it will certainly put a lot more focus on these, even more focus than normal, on the state Supreme Court race. Because it's one thing if you're running against a sitting justice. It's another thing when you're running for an open seat. And, of course, this, this election is going to be in the spring of 2018, which will be a precursor to the free-for-all that is going to be the governor's election and the congressional elections and, of course, Tammy Baldwin up for re-election in the fall of 2018. All right. One of the unfortunate things that happened after the shooting yesterday was that... While the the tone that I think a lot of people had was appropriate, there were some people who could not help themselves. The governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, appeared at this um, very useless – it was a completely useless press conference. If you were listening to it yesterday, I think my frustration came out. You had the the head of the local FBI office, and you had the Capitol Police chief – and, you know, they came out, and, and they just didn't have anything to say. They, they said, oh, the investigation's continuing. We can't say this. We can't say that. We can't say that. So, I mean, why have a press conference if you essentially can't say anything? And then you had the reporters um, who weren't going to take that for an answer. So they keep asking questions. And, for example, the FBI guy would say, oh, I, I can't comment on that. So they, they'd think that, okay, I'm going to ask the same question by changing two words around, and then they're going to suddenly change their opinion. It was very, very frustrating. And it, and I, I understand that reporters have to do their jobs, but they didn't cover themselves with glory. And the, the people holding the press conference, why hold a press conference if you don't have anything to report? But But – they did, the reporters did kind of suck in the Virginia governor, Terry McAuliffe, who he feels compelled, even though he has no information, he's not involved in the investigation, he gets up there and he allows himself to be drawn into the gun control debate. And he starts erping up about how he thinks you need more background checks or, or whatever, which was an unfortunate, in my opinion, decision. Because, to me, yesterday wasn't about you know, gun control measures, and you know, as more and more information is coming out, there's nothing that would suggest that, that any gun control measure short of confiscating firearms would have stopped this guy, um, this James Hodgkinson, from, from doing this. I mean, he, he, wasn't, a, he wasn't a felon. Um, it, it just, there's, I don't know that there's anything, again, short of confiscating people's guns that would have solved this particular situation but it was this unfortunate discussion but now gun control is back in the news and people are talking about you know this even though again none of the measures that i'm hearing that are reasonably being proposed would have stopped that this particular tragedy but um there there is an issue which is kind of percolating under the radar screen with um regard to firearms and and that's that's what i wanted to you know talk to you about um, tucked into a a larger type of of bill um, is is a gun. It's called the Hearing and Protection Act. Okay, but um, tucked inside this is a provision um, which would essentially legalize silencers. I mean, right now. Um, Silencers, gun silencers, as a general rule, are not permitted. 
I mean, there are sort there are certain exceptions and things like that. But as a general rule, you know, you, you just cannot go into a, a store and um, you know buy a silencer. Um, the silencers right now are are covered under the National Firearms Act, which has regulated silencers along with machine guns for more than eighty years. Um, the idea being that. You know, it's one thing to have the Second Amendment, but do people really need silencers? The argument in favor of deregulating silencers is that, gee, guns are loud. And if you would allow people to have silencers, it would help protect people's hearing. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am... I am a Second Amendment advocate, but I am not an absolutist. I, I don't think the average person needs to go out and, and buy a fully automatic machine gun. I don't think there's a reason for the average person to have bazookas. I, I just I, I just don't. I think that uh, Wisconsin's concealed carry law is a reasonable accommodation. I think if you're going to carry a concealed firearm, it is not unreasonable to expect you to get a permit and have some minimal training. And at the risk of alienating some of you, I don't think it is unreasonable to regulate silencers. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This bill would essentially deregulate silencers. What do you think? We discuss next. Um, It's 1044. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Uh, 1047, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And let me be clear. You can... The, the, the federal law does not prohibit the ownership of silencers, but there, what happens is you, you, have to, you have to buy a tax stamp, so there's a fee. There's a federal registry. Um, you also have to have a police chief sign off on this, so it, it takes about nine months to buy a silencer. So the idea of being able to walk into a gun store, pass a background check, and just walk out with a silencer does, doesn't happen. Now, there are people that have silencers. There's no question about it, but um, the effort that's being undertaken now would be to eliminate these requirements, these registration requirements, the tax stamp, the police chief signing off, and essentially say, hey, you go, want to go, you want to go in you want to buy a handgun you want to buy a hunting rifle you could put a silencer or actually they call them suppressors that's the technical term for it i just don't think that this is necessary john in cedarburg john you're on 620 wtmj good morning good morning jeff how are you i'm well thank you do okay do we need do we need the general public to be able to get easy access to silencers um you know i'm a lifelong hunter and a gun advocate but you know i think about this a lot and i can't think of any reason why a person would want a suppressor or a large capacity magazine. I mean, that's not for hunting. That's for something else, and the general public doesn't need that. Now, some people, I mean, the argument is that you you need the suppressor, the silencer, to muffle the sound to pro- of, the, of the gun going off in order to protect your hearing. That's the argument that's being made. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I see it, but that's kind of a stretch. I mean, there's a lot of things that damage your hearing, and... Right. I guess that's not a really good reason to do something like that, in my opinion. Yeah, I get. I, yeah, see, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, and again, I, I appreciate the Second Amendment rights, but I, I, I ask myself: Do people really? Is this something that people really need? When you consider the potential for this to be abused by, you know, and and, and cops will tell you that. You know, dealing with people who have these suppressors, it 
you know, they're not used in a lot of crimes right now, but I think that might partly be because it's tougher to get them. There's just not that many out there. You allow them to be treated just like rifles or purchasing a rifle or something, and, and I guarantee you that you're going to have a situation where they're be starting to be used more and more in crimes. Agreed. And, and furthermore, I mean, whatever happened to not getting what you want all the time? I mean, there are some things that you may want, but the greater good is for you not to have it or anybody to have it. I mean, everybody wants what they want, and that's just all they care about these days. Yeah, I guess. I mean, thanks. I mean, again, I just, to me, I, I look at this bill, and my, my phrase is it, it seems to me like a solution looking for a problem. Because, again, silencers. 10 states, you can't have silencers. State law says no silencers. But the other 40 states, you can have these suppressors. But, you again, you have to jump through all these hoops. It generally takes you as much as nine months to, to get one of these. So the, the people, my guess is, the people that are going through these this process really do have, are probably the more responsible gun owners and are the ones who, for whatever reason, really perceive that they have a need for these type of things, whatever that end up that need might be. Putting more guns with suppressors slash silencers out on the street, I just don't think it's a good idea. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. I agree with the uh, previous caller, John. I'm a hunter and a gun advocate, and the need for silencers, uh, you know, if you're in the woods shooting, uh, you want to hear that shot. If you're doing something for self-defense, unfortunately, hopefully you're never in that, in that position, but... You'd want to hear that gunshot so people can come and help you uh, if need be. And I think for silencers, uh, if you use a silencer, it's for something that you don't want to hear anybody doing. Right. Not for ear protection. Well, I'm right. I, I mean, can't believe that agreement. Yeah, I mean, that, that, and that's pretty much the only, the only justification for it. You know, a lot of law enforcement people say the problem with these one, – one of the problems with the suppressors, you know, is it if, – if you're investigating a crime scene, it makes it much more difficult to figure out – to try to figure out where the shots are coming from um, be, because, again, you, you just don't get as, a, as clear a, a notion of it. And I understand that these are not the typical crime guns. You don't recover a lot of silencers. But I think part of that is because there's not, just not as many silencers out there. There would be a ton more silencers out there if you didn't have to jump through these hoops. Absolutely. Um, no, I mean, thanks, I, think, yeah. I think it's a bad idea. Yeah, I, I guess I thanks. I mean, I, I again, I, I, I do too. Um, if you have a legitimate concern, let's say you're you've got sensitive hearing, you're worried, and and, and we'll, we'll even assume that that is a valid argument. But if you've got sensitive hearing. Um, you are worried about your hearing for whatever reasons, um, and you don't want this, you can get one. But, but I mean, you do have to jump through hoops. And, again, it's kind of a nine-month process, and you have to have a police chief sign off, and you have to pay the $200 tax stamp, and you have to register these things. So if you've got a legitimate need for one or you really want to have one and you're a law-abiding citizen, you can get them. I mean, it's not like they're not available to you. I just think in this particular case, the idea of giving, I, I don't know, the, the street thug who's going to send his girlfriend in to buy a gun, making it easier for that person to walk out you know, the same day or a day later with a, a suppressor, um, I just think, I think that's just bad public policy. To me, these rules are a reasonable, 
a reasonable balance between the rights of people to be able to safely use and enjoy their firearms and the rights of the rest of us to be protected. Uh, Dennis in Germantown. Dennis, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. So I am a also a hunter and a gun advocate. One of the things that the other callers haven't made reference to is there are much cheaper hearing protection items out on the market. So whether they're earplugs or earmuffs, there's other ways that you can protect your hearing mm-hmm. versus getting a silencer. Yeah. Now, some some gun rights advocates would say well yeah but but we shouldn't we shouldn't be restricted if if we want the suppressors if we want the silencers we should have the absolute right to have them but there's again as the other caller said there's no you know real legitimate need for them uh one of the things that they've done recently is when you purchase new firearms they include a gun lock with them one of the things that we could do is require hearing protection to also be included with any new firearm purchases. Right. Well, and yeah, I think you. Well, and again, I'm not sure. I mean, thanks. See, I'm not even sure hearing protection is an issue for you know lots of people. I mean, I don't know that the typical deer hunter, for example, um, the, the the handful of shots that they're going to fire if they're lucky to even get a shot off during the hunting season, I don't know that they're concerned that, gee, that this this sound is going to create the, the, the one time or the, the limited number of times I might shoot the gun, that that's going to cause the, this issue that's going to be effective with my hearing. And like you say, they're right. There, there's all sorts of alternatives. You know, you can wear, you know, earplugs. Uh, Luke and Waukesha text, they make earplugs for protecting your ears. Don't think you need a suppressor to hunt. Ah, I agree. I mean, I guess I just think this... I think this would be bad policy, and I think it is unnecessary. And, yes, you have a Second Amendment right to firearms, but I don't know that that means that you have a Second Amendment right to silencers. It's 11.07, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Just a correction. Some people are telling me that the, the local police chief no longer has to sign off. There, there is the tax stamp and there is the, the additional kind of permitting and registration, but the, the local police chief no longer has to sign off on the, the silencer. Um, they're just notified of, of the silencer. But regardless, um, with all due respect, I, I think I think the restrictions right now, to me, they, they just they're good balance and i'm not sure why we necessarily need them okay we've got a lot of ground to cover in this program and as we do every day every thursday we kind of devote the last segment or two to the program to what i call pop culture corner just a little programming notice i am taking tomorrow off unfortunately it's uh it's, it's uh, not not. I, I have a funeral. I have to go to. Um, a member of my extended family passed away last weekend. I have to attend that. It's not somebody was saying you're going up to the U.S. Open. No, I'm not. Wish I was going up to the U.S. Open, but um, those are those things to do. It's actually my um, my my brother's wife. Um, her her mom died, and we were just uh, yeah we were part of certainly part of the extended family. And again, it's one of those indications that cancer cancer sucks, and we all we all know that. I am, I am intrigued on, on this story because I have been, and I know this is frustrating to you on, on on perhaps both sides. If you hate Donald Trump, and I know that there's a lot of just absolute Donald Trump haters out there, 
it frustrates you when you hear somebody, for example, like me on the radio, who just doesn't buy into all the hate that's out there. The, the truth of the matter is, I mean, there's some stuff, there's a lot of stuff that he's done that I think has been pretty good. I understand his style can be a bit off-putting, but, you know, I, I mean, I think there's he, he deserves credit for some things. And the people who are just the, you know, never, ever, ever, ever Trumpers, um, they, they, can't, they can't give the guy credit for anything. On the flip side, you have some people who are the always Trumpers who just can't realize or refuse to recognize or, or don't believe that the president can do anything wrong. And so conduct that I think they would find to be unseemly or unwise or whatever, they, they just kind of look the other way on that. And then there's guys like me who try to take what I consider to be a nuanced approach, which is to say, all right, I, I think this is good policy. This all right, pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord is not going to destroy the earth. And, and candidly, it, it might be a good idea. And fi- the truth is, five years from now, nobody's going to notice this because the, the natural market effects uh, are going to be just fine because we're moving away from coal anyways. We don't need to be part of the Paris Accord. Oh, no, no, you're going to destroy the world. No, we're, we're not. So there, there's like no nuance that, that's out there anymore. And people are becoming more and more divided, more and more polarized. Now, I bring this up because, again, the mainstream media, which is pretty much with a couple notable exceptions, pretty much decided that, all right, we're, we're going to cut the president no slack. He's not going to be able to do anything right, and we're going to, we realize we can sell newspapers, we can get clicks on our website, we can get eyeballs watching us if we're in the hate Trump all the time mode. Because right now, if you look at the polls, there's more, there might be more of the hate Trumpers that are out there, so we're going to try to um, play into that. Well, I, this brings me to um, the, the latest Gallup report. Um, day before yesterday, Gallup's daily tracking poll, the approval rating for President Trump sat at 36%, which is the second lowest of, of his presidency. But his disapproval rating hit 60%. You know, 60%. Um, this is a record high. And he hit the mark faster than any modern president. Um, Previously, the president who hit a 60% disapproval rating um, was uh, the second President Bush, um, but it took him several years to get that way. Gallup has tracked disapproval ratings for every president since Harry Truman. So on the 144th day of his presidency, President Trump's disapproval rating was 60%. Now, you you can argue that these polls might not accurately reflect everything. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to look at some of these polls and say, all right, can, can, is, is, this, is it really 60%? But I, I think regardless of what camp you are in, you'd have to probably accept the notion that his poll numbers are underwater. And by that, I mean the approval rating is a lot lower than the disapproval rating and maybe the appro- disapproval rating is not 60 percent maybe it's maybe it's 55 percent what whatever I, I think that there's no question that americans aren't warming to president trump at this point in time and that to the extent that there was ever a honeymoon for a new president he didn't get it all right 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line 
Here is what I want to discuss with you. There is a certain stream of thought out there which says that the Trump presidency is doomed to failure. The fact that you've got this type of approval rating this early in the game, the fact that you have all this smoke, we've got the Russia investigation, we're looking at obstruction of justice, the fact that you have all this out there, this is one school of thought, guarantees that this this presidency is going to be a failure. All right, I don't buy that. I accept that there is some validity in these polls, but I am not willing to write off the Trump presidency as being a failure. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you accept the premise that right now there's a high disapproval rating, can Trump salvage this? And what does he need to do to do it? I think he can. What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It is 1113. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1116. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Pitch's Lounge and Restaurant in Milwaukee, featuring a specialty barbecue baby back ribs. Pitch's has been family-owned and operated for over 70 years. Tomorrow at 12 noon. Now, I'm off tomorrow, so I'm not going to be able to remind you, but tomorrow at 12 noon, you can get a $50 certificate for only 25 bucks. These will go quickly. We only have 100 available. Get yours tomorrow starting at noon by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. I understand there's a lot of skepticism about polls, but of various modern presidents, there's only four who have ever hit in the Daily Gallup poll a 60% disapproval rating, Richard Nixon, Harry Truman, and both of the President Bushes. But um, those those presidents, um, it was somewhere between 1,200 and 2,200 days into their presidencies. Donald Trump hit that number at day 143. Are the do these polls accurately reflect the sentiment of the public? Is the Trump presidency doomed? I don't think so. Let's start with Kevin in Sheboygan. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for taking my yes, call. Yes, sir. I believe that the polls are off, and part of the reason is that the Republican base has pretty much stopped answering the polls, so there's not a real... Um, positive or or negative effect from that side of the aisle. Uh, I also believe he's he's one of the few presidents that's actually doing what he said he was going to do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of happy Republicans right now, and I got to believe there's a lot of happy crossover Democrats because he's moving forward on his jobs um, requirements. So I, I honestly believe that. The polls are skewed right now. It's not the polls' fault. It's the fact that Republicans just don't want to answer the phone. And when do they do, they don't skew- want to talk to do anybody. Do you think they're skewed that much, though? I mean, I mean, the numbers, there's there's a huge disparity. I mean, you're talking about a 36% approval rating and a 60% disapproval rating. Do you well, think it's really that large? Yes, I do, sir. Okay. Hil- Hillary Clinton was actually um, ahead in the polls as much as 25 or 30 percent yep. at one point in time. Yep. So, so, and she wound up losing. So there's a, and plus there's a lot of people that are not voting right now that mm-hmm. will probably wind up weighing in in the next election. Yeah. Okay. Good enough. Thanks. I mean, I, I guess, I, I mean, I, I, 
I mean, I, I appreciate, believe me, why everybody's skeptical about polls, and I, I've been burned the last couple elections, and I'm, I'm not, I won't be fooled again. At the same time, I mean, President Trump has been extremely controversial. It's been contributed to by the fact that you've got the mainstream media that is in complete war with him. But in, in fairness, in some respects, he's been his own worst enemy, I think, by some of the, the things that he has chosen to do. And I appreciate there's some people who appreciate, oh, that's good that the guy's an outsider, but... I mean, the, the 5 a.m. texts, you know, alleging that he'd been, for whatever reason, that he'd been wiretapped by, you know, the former president or, you know, the decision to try to arrange private meetings with the FBI director while not rising to the level of, in my opinion, obstruction of justice, still it, it raises these kind of issues. That having been said, I mean, I think when you look back and you judge the success or the failure of a presidency, you, you look at, all right, was there peace? Was there prosperity? You know, how, how, how did you do economically? You know, you know, was the country at war? You know, what ended up happening? And the, the truth of the matter is, because, for example, this, this climate thing, you know, I don't think pulling out of the Paris uh, Climate Accord is going to make one whit of difference overall to the issue of, you know, global warming or whatever. So, I mean, the truth is, two or three years from now, if the economy is going well, if unemployment continues to be low, if we really have hooked up young people with, you know, put them on a track to find jobs, right, th- that's, to me, success. But I, I do... I guess I'm not going to just say that I, I think that these numbers are completely out of whack. And in some cases, again, I think the president's been his own worst enemy. Um, Joe on the south side. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, Jeff. You know, i got to agree with you. On the, you know, I mean, the guy digs his own grave. It's just unbelievable. I don't know how anybody can really, you know, I mean, he appoints guys, and then he throws them under the bus. It's like he comes out, you know, he's got one thing he's got. The problem is he wants to be the top gun. You know something? He is the top gun. Yeah. All he's got to do is ask, you know, just, just, you know, be presidential. You know, I mean, he is the top gun. Yeah, well, I mean, worry right. about these other guys. Well, you know, I, and I think, crazy. I look, and I, I'm not, I see, I really think Paul Ryan was, was on to something. And I know Brian got mocked about it, but I, I think there sort of is a learning curve. Trump is used to being the, the, the CEO that, Everybody has to listen to, and, and you know. And if you're the CEO of, of a privately held company, you can, if you want to be a benevolent dictator, you can be a benevolent dictator. That's not necessarily what you you can't necessarily do that when you're the president of the United States. You have a lot of powers, but you're dealing with okay. You're dealing with the director of the FBI, who yes reports to you, but also has his own constitutional obligations. And that's why, again, I, I don't think Trump has caught on to the distinctions. I also think he's kind of a loose cannon. And uh, all right, you're having a meeting with the Russian ambassador, and you erp up confidential stuff as part of a boys' club kind of thing. It's like all right, you. I, I do think he needs to be more circumspect, but at the same time, when I'm going to judge a presidency, I'm going to be saying, are people working? Are we safe? And we, it's just too soon to tell that right now. Well, here's the one thing that really got me, Jeff. You know, I, I don't know anything about, you know, this Comey deal and the whole thing. He's, you know, he had the right to fire me. He's the president. But to go on and say that he's a showboat, I mean, come on. Who's a showboat? I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're, you're saying pot? Here's the kettle, right? <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean... No, I, I, I mean, th- well, and see, but you know, of course, the American people knew what they were getting. I found a lot of the things that, that President Trump did during the campaign to be off-putting. You know, the the, the names and the, okay, this is like Little Mario or or whatever. It, it's that type of stuff. It's that it's that bullying type of thing. 
I find his per- I, I this goes back to the time of the apprentice and the celebrity press. I found it to be off-putting. I just on a personal level it was just wasn't me. Now I understand some people that might have an appeal to them, but it, it wasn't me. But um, but there's other presidents as well that I don't necessarily think that you would have liked their personality or whatever. But we judge success or failure by what they are able to accomplish. That is candidly one of the reasons why I'm a little I forget a little bit. I'm more than a little bit frustrated that you know we you have a Republican Senate, you have a Republican um, House of Representatives, you've got a Republican president, and on, on so many things that I think. Really, we should be caring about. We're spinning our wheels because we're 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 looking at the bright, shiny objects. And then you've got you know the people on the the hate Trumpers who are we've got to get him impeached. We've got to get him out there. And we're spending all this the psychic energy on this instead of figuring out okay, how can we make sure that we get affordable health care for you know the people who who need it and giving them their their options because Obamacare is not working. You got to come up with some other idea. Chet in Waukesha. Chet, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, yeah, I think some of the things you said were absolutely correct. Uh, one thing, if you look at Trump and his personality, it's and I'm not trying to be derogatory, his personality is a definition of a narcissist. Yeah. If you read it, look it up in the dictionary, it's perfectly perfect yeah. example of that. Everybody has a little bit of that in them, but he has it to an extreme. <laughs> and he can't, yeah. he can't stop, he can't resist whenever anybody insults him. And the other thing about that is no one will tell him no. And when they do, they're cast out. Right. And, and we, I worked for a company that had a CEO like that. And initially everything was great gangbusters. No one would tell him no. And, and ultimately almost buried the company in, in the process. Yeah, it, and, it's, and of course that's a, that's a you, to be the President of the United States, You've got to have a heck of an ego. I mean, to, I mean, seriously. I mean, I don't care who you are to to think that to think that I can be and I should be the leader of the free world. You've got to have an ego. I don't whether it's Bill Clinton or oh, George. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got to have it. But you're right. It does seem President Trump that kind of it, it is sort of carried to the extreme. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. I mean, it, it is, and um, I, I think his style is off putting. And, I mean, the, the idea, I mean, part of the thing, too, is his willingness to throw people under the bus, to use that cliche. I mean, it, it, it is sort of frustrating that you have these aides that go out and they're, they're trying to tout the party line. And then if it doesn't play very well, then the next thing you know, okay, you know, you, you've done the wrong thing. Uh, Carla in Mosquito. Carla, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, hi. Hi, Carla. You know, I, you said something about it being uh, our people working and... Is the economy moving and all of those things? There's so much more to being president than that. We have relationships with other countries that have to be concerned, considered, and he's not at all concerned with with basically spitting in their faces and saying, "You guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm the only one who knows, so I'm going rogue and doing my own thing, and you guys can waste your time with this Paris foolishness." Do you, you know? think there's Do you think there's anything you can, he can do to turn around these numbers, or is that just not going to happen? And not the way he does. They've been trying to get him to stop tweeting or twittering or whatever it is. He cannot seem to stop. Every time he opens his mouth and there's not a script in front of him that he's clearly reading, he's got something foolish coming out of it. Well, I, I, I'm with you. Thanks. I, I'm with you that I would definitely, um, 
I would take the cell phone away. <laughs> you know, that's I, I would I, I would you know Twitter just isn't for everybody. But I mean again, I see. I mean I think it's great on the one hand that you can. I mean for any politician nowadays, that's the thing with social media. You don't need to depend on the mainstream media. You can bypass it. You can go over them. You can go under them. You can around them by communicating directly to your supporters. That's great, but it's also difficult to conduct foreign policy or explain complicated financial complicated policy decisions in 140 characters it's 11:27 this is Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ it's 11:35 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ okay breaking news a lot of breaking news this morning. Um, uh, reports are that a a blimp has crashed at uh, the Aaron Hills Golf Course. Blimp crash out at the U.S. Open. My note says Hartford blimp crash at Aaron Hills Golf Course. One injured operator with burns. So um, we will we will um, try to bring you more details about that. But uh, yeah, you know, of course they have all the different blimps that are around and um, apparently blimp crash so we'll continue to keep you updated one injured operator with burns it, it doesn't appear to be a situation where there's you know um, significant amount of injuries to a large numbers of people but we'll continue to keep you posted um, Aaron Hills of course the site of the US Open um, tournament is underway and uh, it's it's just great to have the golfers and all the people from out of state and across the country coming here to Again, enjoy Wisconsin. All right. It is 1136. This is the time of the day. We do this every Thursday. We kind of set aside the heavy lifting, and we stop talking about President Trump and Russia, and we stop talking about the crazy guy in Illinois that apparently decided to head to Alexandria, Virginia, to assassinate politicians and things like that. And we, we try to lighten it up. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. Some weeks we talk about music. Some weeks we talk about movies. Saw a good movie, Wonder Woman. If you get a chance and you like action-adventure movies, um, even if you don't like superhero movies, my guess is you might like Wonder Woman. I saw that last week. Um, so sometimes we talk about TV. Sometimes we talk about you know movies. Sometimes sports. Uh, today, we are going to talk about food. Because I mentioned something just casually the other day, and it generated just a, a huge response. Um, Seymour is the home of the hamburger, Seymour, Wisconsin. And every summer they have the Hamburger Festival, which is a a huge thing. And as a matter of fact, friends of mine, the father and mother of my girlfriend's daughter, okay, (laughs) of their Jim and Nancy, yeah, you know, they're they're very very involved in that, and uh, my girlfriend's son-in-law, he he's you know Darren, he's very involved in that. They actually cook the giant hamburger that they make, and so I have never been to the hamburger festival in Seymour, which is the Brills itself is the home of the hamburger, but um, it's a big deal, and I know that there's lots of tour buses, for example, that go up from Wisconsin when they're doing that festival. But there was you know one of these internet things that did a survey of the best that the top burgers. In, in the country, and you had three places in southeastern Wisconsin that made the list. You had Cops, you know, the fast food place. You had Solly's, and I always have to give full disclosure here. The owner of Solly's, uh, Glenn's wife, Mary, was my 
administrative assistant slash secretary back in the day when I was practicing law, and uh, the night owl that got uh, on the south side. So, you know, you had you had all that type of you know you had three places there, and I, I just I mentioned that study about a week or so ago that survey that was out, and it generated this huge response because. There are certain things that everybody feels passionate about. The best fish fries are one. The best place for pizza is another. And the best place for a hamburger is another. So I thought the grilling season is now well underway. So we're cooking our own meat. But there's nothing like going out and having your cheeseburger or your hamburger, if you prefer, in paradise. So for Pop Culture Corner this week, I thought we'd open up the phone lines, make everybody a little bit hungry. All right. If if you have one place to go to get yourself a great burger, where is that place going to be? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The best place for a burger, it can be local, it can be statewide. Maybe, you know, maybe you were, I don't know, sitting in Los Angeles and all of a sudden you were at some restaurant and you ordered it and it turned out to be the greatest burger ever. But where do you go for the greatest burger? The best burgers are where and what makes them so good? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll be taking your phone calls. We are also live streaming, Facebook Live, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, so you can participate that way as well. We're back. And, again, my advice for these segments is always kind of go with your first instinct, and please call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get to as many calls as we possibly can. It is 1140. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Come hungry. It's 1144, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Huge response. Um, here's one of my favorite ones on our text line. It's a Muslim who's fasting this Ramadan right now. This topic makes my day tougher. Sorry. I think the best burger is In-N-Out in California. Fred in Milwaukee. Um, let's see. Fred. Okay, these keep changing on me. Um, Fred says Oscars on Oscars on Pierce Street. Juicy burgers and great fries, great Bloody Marys. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I'm rather fickle on this one, but my current favorite is Point Burger Bar in Menominee Falls off 45 and Good Hope. Right. They have, that's one of my go-to places. Um, I, I end up there a lot. Um, also, you know, they've got they've, they've got another the one. There's got a slightly bigger one in Pewaukee, um, right where the old American TV used to be. But it's 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 identical. They they've got all sorts of great burgers, and the beer is pretty darn good too. Yeah, and I like how they have traditional ones, but they also have unique ones such as duck burgers and hangover burgers. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I, um, I, my thanks for at, at Point Burger Bar. My stand, my standby is the Pav Burger. Very, very, very good. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um, Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hey, my my favorite place for a burger is the uh, Butler Inn in Butler, Wisconsin, hundred twenty fourth in Hampton. Mm-hmm. They've got the uh, seasoned mozzarella cheese in the center of the burger. Oh, have a cheese on top. Oh. It is the best, and they got ice glasses of beer. It's nice. Well, yeah, I well, that, that, those go along. A great burger, you know, at like the like the words of the song say, you know, cold glass of beer, cold draft beer doesn't get much better than that. Thanks, for God. I haven't been to the Butler Inn in years. Let's talk to Ed in St. Francis. Ed, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, it's got to be Fred's Burgers in Burlington. Uh, just take 36 down from the south side of Milwaukee. Uh, they have 
great potato skins that go along with it, a beer, of course. You had to put up with it being kind of a mini shrine to Tony Romo. Uh, <laughs> the, the usual uh, sports uh, stuff on the walls there. You know, I, burgers. I make it a destination. We yeah, make it a destination a couple it, times it, a year. And it's right, you know, I know where it is. I have talked to people about it. And it's one of those places where the burgers are so big, they serve them with a steak knife, right? That's that place? <laughs> Right? That's the place. Yeah, and it, you know, and it, it's right as you come across the bridge, and I have to confess, I've never eaten there. And I, I, everybody raves about it. I have driven past it. I have never eaten there, but you're telling me I really got to stop and do it, huh? You have to do it. Uh, you, you'll, you'll love it. Yeah, no, thanks. I, and again, every, everybody just raves about, everybody raves about Fred's. Matt in Burlington. Matt, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning. That guy kind of stole my thunder. Actually, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Stole my thunder with uh, Fred's because I was going to suggest that as well. And if you don't mind that being Tony Romo's old stomping grounds from high school days, and you can deal with him and a few other celebrities out of Burlington. Uh, <laughs> that worked for Channel 4. Right. Uh, Caitlin, I believe, was from down here, I believe. But anyways, that's a great place. The burgers are phenomenal. They get their beef and buns, I believe, from Gooseberry's Market, a Whole Foods Market down here, which is good. But if you don't want to spend those high prices, you can go to Chris's USA, which is a bar here in town with decent hot wings, and they have really good half-pound burgers for two ninety-nine, and they use the same beef and same buns as Fred's. Oh, okay, so that's that is a little bit cheaper. Okay, that's a little backdoor thing. Okay, let's check our Facebook Live. Uh, Zachary writes, Gus's Drive-In in East Troy. I've been there. Um, Carrie writes, The Night Owl. Yeah, like I say, that. The night owl made um, the night owl made the, this list. Their cheeseburgers apparently were um, quite quite popular. Uh, Chumley's Pub in New Berlin, yeah, all sorts of great things. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Ann in Oconomowoc. Ann, you're at six twenty BTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. How's Hi, it going? Oh well, I'm I'm hungry, but I see I I get I twelve minutes. Twelve minutes, well, and I can go. I'm, I'm having a burger this afternoon. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm having a burger. Well, I know, I know you're not going to want to go where I'm going to suggest, but I got to tell you that the greatest hamburgers ever, ever, ever is at the Tamarack Inn in Portage, Wisconsin, and they have freshly ground black Angus daily, mm-hmm. yeah. and very reasonable. And my husband and I, we just love their burgers. Yeah, it's um, you know. Nowadays, you can kind of be a meat snob because you can really tell the difference between the good meat that they use in burgers and some of the like the less good meat, and there's just no question about it. And it's if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, I say do it right, huh? You know, exactly. <laughs> All right, so okay, so if I'm ever in Portage, I got to check out the Tamarack Inn. It's right. It's right on the main. It's right on Highway 60 okay. when you come. I think it's Highway 60 when you come through right. town, and it's right. There's a great the whole portage sign is right next to the building. It's a it's kind of a log cabinish building with a green roof and it's it's really terrific. We we stop there. We have a we have a cottage in Lake Dalton, Wisconsin and whenever we go we take the back way and we take the back way just to stop on the way up and on the way back at the Tamarack. It's really awesome. Um there there you go. See now that's that's see that's also the sign of a really good burger that you will drive out of your way to uh, to go there, Randy in Milwaukee. Randy, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeffrey. How are you? I am well, thank you. What's your favorite place? Well, my favorite place is Oster's Burgers. Not not the one on Highway Hundred, but the one on Pierce. Yeah, Seventeenth and Pierce, right? Seventeenth and Pierce, and and uh, as you as you well know, I'm sure that uh, he's going to be opening up a, a new place on 
38th in Burnham mm-hmm. called Oscar's Winter Circle, which is remarkably right down the block from Kohansky's Concertina Beer Hall. Oh, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. No, great I, for music. So no. It, it, it's going to be a, a, a great combination. Well, you know. And great burgers. They, well, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot from. Um, a lot, a lot of people, matter of fact, our text line is exploding on this, no surprise. And a lot of people are talking about Oscar 17th and Pierce, great burgers and fries, variety of cold beers. That's great. Great food, great price. Yeah, you, cold beers are tremendous. You know, one of the things that, for example, I, I love about Sally's, and again, I, I gave the disclaimer, the owner is a friend of mine. My picture's up on the wall if you go in there, as a matter of fact. But um, they, they have, like, the milkshakes. You know, it's not just the burger, but they have the old-fashioned milkshakes that they serve them in the, the metal canister and stuff. Mm. Doesn't get much better than that. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim in Waukesha. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real uh, well, thank the you. absolute best cheeseburgers, and I would recommend the double cheeseburgers at Chester's <laughs> in Plymouth, Wisconsin. If, so so if, you're, if, you're, if you're going the cheeseburger route, just go all the way, you know? you got to go double. <laughs> right, right, just go with, the, go with the double. What makes them so good? Well, they use the fresh Schwaller meats in town. They uh, probably get their buns right fresh from Sheboygan, and they cook them on a charcoal grill, and uh, they put a lot of butter on them. So, oh, yeah, well, yeah, the, can't can't go wrong with that. Uh, okay, on our text line, John and Grafton. There are two places for me: Toucan Custard in West Bend. Huh. I, I know exactly where that is. I've, I've never had the burgers there. And Wayne's on the Five Corners in Cedarburg. I have been to Wayne's, and that is very good as well. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. The best burger is? Uh, Wadles in Jefferson. Um, really? It's, okay. Yes. Where? It's, uh, it's a small little shack right in downtown Jefferson. Okay. Um, it might be 8 feet by 12 feet uh, in total size. And basically, they cook, it, uh, they cook it on an old skillet, and they start the day by taking a pile of onions and then uh, <laughs> melting, uh, melting pure lard yeah. all over it. So when you walk up to it, you think, well, this is just a, uh, this is just a very basic burger. People are, sure. people are enamored with the quaintness of the small shack and everything. But when you eat it, even just the plain cheeseburger, it will knock your socks off. <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with fried onions. I mean, you could put fried onions on pretty much every, anything short of Special K, and it's going to taste pretty good. Well, even even without the uh, even when you order it without the onions, right. because they because they start with grilling it in the yeah, the, you're going to get onions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get that onion flavor, and uh, it you know it like I said. Uh, it's worth it's worth an hour drive to get there. Well, that that's the outstanding thing. It's it's kind of like um, I have friends who um, five guys, you know, they're, they're kind of a chain, but they're 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 a cut above a chain, and and they do everything in in peanut oil, which isn't necessarily the best thing for you. But you you walk in, they've got this big sign: if you have peanut allergies. Sorry, this isn't the place. You know, it's just like this is this is how we do it. That sounds like his story. Okay, if you don't like onions, you don't want to be here. Okay, Maddie's Bar and Grill in New Berlin, that's excellent. Let's see. Betty says Dale's on the north side. Uh, Jim says TGIF Fridays. I haven't been in one of those. A lot of people again voting for a lot of people voting for the Night Owl as well. Uh, bottom line, and of course, and we didn't mention some of the other. You know, classic places around here, your, um, you know, A.J. Bombers and, of course, Sobelman's, 
uh, Salis. Those are the three that get the, the greatest attention. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you're going. It's like the words of the Buffett song. You know, you know, a, a you know a great burger, cold draft beer. You know, a pickle, maybe some Heinz 57, just doesn't get much better than that. Okay, now I am officially hungry. You can check this out because, um, again, we, we read. We also we do the podcast, of course, but also at Facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ. You can see this and you can continue to participate in the discussion. Uh, this is Pop Culture Corner for this week.